Shri Guru Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai. Shri Sri Dauji Gopal ki jai. Shri Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu ki jai. Rupa Goswami Prabhupada ki jai. Gaur Bhaktavrinda ki jai. Gaur Premanandi. Good evening. We've been discussing from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, the southern division of the ocean of bhakti, the immortal nectarian ocean of bhakti rasa. And as we know in this section, uh, the various ingredients of bhakti rasa are discussed, chapter dedicated to each. We're in the chapter, first of those chapters, discussing the vibhav. This is one of the ingredients. It's a it's a causal ingredient, as we know, in as much as without it, there can be no rasa, in much as it, that said, it, it involves the, the object of love and the uh, embodiment of love, Krishna and the devotee. And of the devotees, of course, there are different types and so forth. And, um, and that will be discussed later in this chapter in brief and in, in greater detail with regard to different types of sentiments for Krishna, a chapter dedicated to each of the um, primary rasas and so on and so forth. So um, the, 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 the alambana vibhav, alambana means foundation, it means support. Um, sometimes it's described as props, as if is in a dramatic language, so you have the prop of the, or prop is kind of usually used as for a, for an inanimate thing. But here um, it's describing, I would say that let's say the hero and and the uh, the uh, well the object of love and different uh, vessels of love, embodiments of love, the devotees. Um, so without these two, you cannot have rasa. Hmm? This is alambana vibhav, two types, vishai and ashrai, object and shelter, kind of objective and subjective hmm? aspects of rasa, rasa, Krishna's the objectively beautiful, perfect object of love, and then there are different subjective feelings that arise from um, encountering him. Hmm? And... Uh, there's another type of vibhav, as we know, that will be discussed later in this chapter. That's called udipana. Udipana means certain qualities of Krishna, it can mean, or certain things related to Krishna, like Krishna's flute or uh, his turban um, uh, and so forth, that give rise to um, feelings about him. And are causal in that way because he has these qualities, because he has these um, um, extensions of himself, his flute and, and, and particulars and so forth. Because he has them, then he is the way he is, so to speak. And and they uh, all this, in this sense, is 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 is, is causal. So when we speak of the vibhav as an ingredient. It's a little bit different than when we speak about the other 
ingredients, the other four ingredients, all of which are, are bhavas, feelings and transformations uh, you know, on, within the person of the devotee, uh, emotional, uh, mental-emotional, uh, bodily transformations, uh, gestures and characteristics, and so on and so forth. So again, you, you have the stai bhav, the dominant emotion, you have the auxiliary bhavas, uh, sancharis that come and go. You have the anubhavs, which are the gestures that different devotees and different rasas will make and the way they will carry themselves and the way they will uh, interact um, physically with the object of love, Krishna. And, the, and then the extraordinary bodily transformations, like ecstatic, um, well, ecstatic transformations of the, the body. It's thought that the, the, the bhava comes on the pran, and when it contacts the, the water element of the body, hmm, and tears or perspiration will come, or the, the, the air, the ether element, and uh, it will be passing out and... Uh, the, the, the earth element, they'll be stunned, and so forth. So this will come, whether it be a chapter about such things. So these are all a little bit different, as I say, than the vibhavas, um, which, it's, they're not like a bhava, they're a vibhav, it's, it's a different uh, spelling. <laughs> <laughs> and they all pertain to, to Krishna, things related to Krishna, that make him, if you will, the way he is, and um, and relatable to indifferent uh, sentiments, which then, as I say, sees him in a certain light, with certain qualities standing out, and certain udipanas, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So, um, uh, again, we're now in the midst of describing the Vishayalambana, Krishna, and uh, in this regard, we are about to discuss his qualities that Rupa Goswami lists. He highlights 64 qualities. He also cites 40 other qualities, as we know, citing from the uh, from the Bhagavatam, I think, a discussion between the personified earth and, and Dharma, the bull uh, personified, glorifying him. Rupa... Uh, Gosamiji does not elaborate on those qualities. He almost as if he throws them in to say, and here's 40 more, and there could be another, so many as well. Um, but he highlights 64 of them. Hmm? And he divides them, as we know, into different groupings. There are a grouping of 50, there's a grouping of five more, a second grouping of five, and then a third grouping of four. Hmm? And the groupings relate to the idea that 50 of the qualities, the first 50 described, are qualities that appear sometimes in jivas when they are blessed with the mercy of Krishna to a minute degree. Hmm. Those are the first 50. The first grouping of five are qualities that appear in devas like Brahma and Shiva when Krishna takes the post of Brahma and Shiva. Hmm. For example, it happens. The second five are the qualities that that are found in Krishna only and Narayan, not in Shiva, 
Brahma, even when Krishna becomes Jiva and Brahma. Not in uh, the Jivas, you won't find them. Only in Krishna and Narayan. Hmm? And they, as we'll see, they appear in Krishna in greater measure than in Narayan. It's a very interesting point. Um, and the last four of the groups, the last group of four, I should say, are qualities that are found only in Krishna. Hmm? And uh, so Rupa Goswami lists these, and then he uh, goes and, exp- and explains them with examples. Examples from different scriptures, from the oral tradition, um, and so forth, to help uh, shed light on them. They're grouped um, also in terms of qualities that speak about his Aishvarya, his majesty, and his madhurya, his uh, sweetness. And it's pointed out that his, um, that in Krishna we find the greatest degree of sweetness, and in Krishna we find the greatest degree of majesty. And that'll certainly, certainly come up, as I say, when we discuss the five qualities that only Krishna and Narayan has, and we see that Krishna has them to a greater degree. Hmm? He has more Aishvarya and more sweetness. Aishvarya is the background of his sweetness. Without the Aishvarya, there would be no sweetness. If it wasn't God acting in a human-like way, then it wouldn't be notable. Hmm? So, uh, also, the qualities are divided into into verbal or physical, verbal, and mental and emotional. Hmm? So, um, we start tonight with the first quality. We're going to go through, hopefully... Um, the first six of his physical qualities that are highlighted by Rupa Goswami. Those will be followed by verbal qualities and will be followed by mental and emotional qualities. Hmm. So, he, Rupa Goswami says, Suram Yanga, Krishna is beautifully limbed. He has beautiful limbs. Hmm. So, the nature of this type of discussion here is going to lend to me reading a little bit and discussing, which I don't usually do, but it's a little bit of a different format. Rupa Goswami's translation. A person who is endowed with praiseworthy bodily parts is called beautifully limbed. He gives an example. What sweetness the form of Murari reveals. His face is like the moon. His thighs are like elephant trunks. His arms are as sturdy as pillars. His hands are the object of praise for lotuses. His chest is broad as a door. His hips are massive and his waist is thin. Hugasami makes a comment here that as we begin, description of Krishna's qualities, and, and these are physical qualities, there is a comparison made to things of this world. His face is like the moon. Hmm? Um, and uh, he, he makes the comment, and he's made it elsewhere as well, um, earlier on, that uh, what can we do? We This is our frame of reference. Hmm? But he wants to make the point, he does, that it just does not do justice. Uh, it's it's, it's very, a very, very poor uh, comparison uh, to compare Krishna's bodily um, 
uh, limbs, as described here, his, his, his thighs, his chest, uh, his waist, his face, and so forth, to um, material things, even things as significant as the moon. Hmm? Something, some things that we're not as familiar with, the trunks of elephants, but I mean, that's pretty more prominent uh, in India. They've got a nice shape to them. <laughs> uh, lotuses, his hands. There's some very beautiful um, um, passion fruit flowers that are reminiscent of the lotus growing now behind the garden, purple. Uh, if you just drop them in a little water, then, then you think Krishna's hands. The lotuses are uh, objects, uh, or his hands are the object of praise of lotuses. There'll be more as lo- about lotuses as we go forward with these physical qualities. But anyway, the point here initially only is that the Hebrew the, the, Swami wants to underscore that these things do not do justice. It's almost as if he had them all together and put them together and at once to, uh, and it came out into something extraordinary, taking all the super qualities, uh, excellent qualities of each of these things, each of which, unfortunately, also has its downside. The moon has marks on it. The lotus will wilt uh, in due course, and so on and so forth. So they, they really, as you can see, if we to get into it more, they don't do justice. So um, just to give us some idea, hmm, some frame of reference, Krishna is beyond thought, beyond words, hmm, beyond comparison beyond comparison to anything material or spiritual. But somehow, to talk about him, that's how we define things and describe things, largely, by by comparison. So, we're limited in that way. Uh, but he makes the point, Jiva Goswami, that when great devotees speak about Krishna's qualities and make such comparisons, they're actually making comparisons to vibhutis of Krishna in the spiritual world, like the moon is a, is a babuti, in this, it, there's a moon, there's a moon in Goloka, although Krishna in the Gita says there's no need for one, from a luminary point of view, hmm? in, 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 and that means that the place is luminous. Here we need moon for light, or sun for light, not tadbhasa yatesaruna he says. But in my abode, there's no need for sun, moon, fire, any of these things that illumine in this world, because it is self-luminous. Hmm? But beyond its luminosity, of course, hmm, which means it's, 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 it's beyond ignorance. Hmm? It's the end of, of ignorance and attachment and rounds of birth and death and so on and so forth. As I often say, beyond it being luminous, it, uh, it, it is also not just a place of light in that sense, but also a place of feeling. Sarup Shakti, I've sometimes compared to the heat and light of the fire. Hmm? Ourselves to the sparks, Maya Shakti to the smoke, Krishna to the composites of those, and the more that the fire is. Hmm? Uh, So the heat and light, light means luminosity, knowledge and heat means feeling. Samvit and Vladini. So, there's no need for a moon from the light point of view, or the to to illumine. To it's it's uh, to, to it's uh, ignorance is uh, has no no place there. But there's a need for one for feeling. So, 
So at any rate, he says, great devotees, when they speak about the qualities of Krishna, they're really comparing them. He's trying to improve the... This is, this is how bad he feels, Jiva Goswami feels, to hear Krishna describe com, face compared to the moon. <laughs> He's trying to say, oh, we wouldn't have thought of such a thing. Oh, yes, the beautiful moon at night. He is seeing Krishna, and this is how he feels. So he wants to take it to another step. He's talking about his spiritual moon in the Leela. that doesn't have the same faults as, as this moon. It's a devotee, and uh, and uh, and uh, a manifestation of, uh, of a bhuti, a manifestation of uh, extension of, of Krishna himself, and and so forth. Hmm. So he says, and so it is with all the comparisons that will come from here on out. Try to think of them this way. So he really sets the stage here at the beginning of the discussion of these qualities to help us hmm, to get some idea of how extraordinary the the beautiful form of Krishna is. And this is what's being described, whether it be here qualities of a physical or it's on verbal or mental. It's, this is all now describing the object of love, Krishna. As I say later, we can describe the qualities of uh, uh, Krishna's qualities, hmm? or we can describe, describe the, the qualities of Krishna, something like that. Hmm? So we can talk about the qualities in relation to the fact that they make up his. His, they're the, the composite of his being, or we can talk about them separately, in which case they would be an udipano. Here we're talking about him, what he, the person, is, is, is like. So, very extraordinary is the idea. Hmm? Here his face, his thighs, his arms, sturdy as the bases of pillars, his hands, objects of praise for lotuses, his chest broad as a door, his waist thin, his hips are massive. Jiva Goswami says, massive hips means that because of the massive nature of his hips, it's impossible to consider their it in parts. <laughs> Second quality. <laughs> huh? Krishna's body is endowed with auspicious features. We heard about his bodily limbs. Now, his body has certain auspicious features. And there are two types. Gunotam and Ankotam. It means bodily characteristics, and then certain markings on his body. Hmm? Rupa Goswami writes, good indications or auspicious characteristics are of two types. Bodily features, gunotam, and markings on the hands and feet, ankotam. What we have going on here, in one sense... Um, is what might be called physiognomy, uh, the so-called science of uh, 
the nature of appearance, which is often thought to correspond um, with the disposition, personality of uh, of the uh, of the person. Hmm? Uh, not necessarily always, but here we're hearing a description of the physical characteristics of Krishna, and they are thought to be indi- indicators. Um, as it comes up in relation to this quality of the supreme being, the supreme Brahman. Hmm. So, of course, physiognomy is is, is an ancient uh, um, science that today would is largely be thought of as a pseudoscience. Hmm. It was popular in ancient times. The Greeks were very into it. And, and so forth. The common English saying is that the face is the index of the mind. Hmm? And there has been a, a, a revival of physiognomy as uh, recent as 2009. There have been scientific articles in journals about the correlation between facial expressions and mental states and so on. So, anyway, the fact that modern science has, has not been able to um, make sense out of ancient ideas, or they think they find contradictory data um, that that causes them to believe that physiognomy is is, is just wives' tales or something like that, is uh, whatever you want to make out of it. But I'll tell you a story um, that was I found very fascinating, that um, uh, once... Uh, we were going to a dairy to buy a cow for Audaria. And we happened to have a CD of a fellow that was had given a lecture on the different physical features of cows and what those features meant. Hmm? And it was so fascinating to hear that. And we were, we were trying to, like, remember them. I mean, like, we're going to, you know see the cows, and, and he was given the technical names. The only one that really stuck out in our minds, for some reason, was the escutcheon, which is a space kind of um, just above the, the milk bag, the udder, uh, and in between the two back legs. And, it, and the shape of it was said to determine, to a large degree, the, 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 the uh, extent of the milk that that cow would give. This is just one characteristic, but they were, there must there were dozens of them. How the world, you know, the world, what do they, what do they call that, a, a cowlick on their back and where it's placed, whether there's one or two, and I can't remember any beyond what I mentioned, but there were so many of them. And uh, this was, you could understand, this was really working for farmers. Hmm? They really... Um, knew from these bodily characteristics so much about the cow, the dairy cow, the dairy cow in regard to the, the, the whether the I remember another one, whether the udder was bald or it had fine hairs on it, and these would determine the quality of the cream, measure of the cream, and so forth. <laughs> was it was fascinating, and they were obviously using that as and getting consistent data. So it gave me some faith and physiognomy, if you will, especially when we ended up at the dairy, hmm? and we all we remember was a scutcheon, and we saw who is now Shamala, 
hmm? our black jersey, and she had an escutcheon to just write home about. Like, That's an escutcheon. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, so we just went with it, and she is a huge milker. Hmm? We got uh, verification. She is a huge milker. Um, she's, after five years, she's still giving almost four gallons a day after five years of having a calf. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so something to it, it appears, and uh, certainly something uh, in relation to Krishna's qualities. The, uh, the, uh, here we're going to hear the, the, the qualities of the Supreme Brahman, as the Puranas say. This same idea of identifying the spiritual standing of a person or identifying a very exalted spiritual person by bodily characteristics was invoked in the Bhagavatam with regard to Sugadeva Goswami's appearing on the scene along the banks of the Ganges where Raj Parikshit was gathered with so many people to um, deal with the curse that he would die in seven days and and uh, where he would seek questions, answers to his pertinent questions about what to do at the time of death and what's the real highest uh, purpose and uh, engagement for human society. So, as you know, Sugadev came on the scene. I often say he was naked, and he was, and therefore the sages could understand he was detached and so forth. That's true, but it could have, you know, there are other naked people too. Hmm? One time in Vrindavan, <laughs> some of you know the story, Vrindaranya went out to the, to the market from ashram to get something, and a naked sadhu, which you don't see in Vrindavan, they're up in the Himalayas and so forth, appeared in Vrindavan, walking with his trident and uh, covered in ashes, and he saw Vrindaranya, he started chasing her, the blonde from America, and shopkeepers had to come out and you know beat the guy, away and so forth. So Sugadev wasn't like that. Hmm? <laughs> hmm? And he wasn't very, very, very good looking either, but uh, Sugadev Goswami has described it, the young ladies, they felt feelings for him. Hmm? He, he was attractive, um, without any sexual attraction, but just ch- charmed by his his beauty and so forth. And and there's some description of his bodily features. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has been described by Krishna's Kaviraj in terms of these same um, bodily uh, features. There's 30, I believe 32 of them that the scriptures uh, call out. And as Krishna exhibited them, so similarly Sugadev to some extent, therefore they could understand he's a Mahapurusha. Jiva Goswami comments on this, that by seeing these qualities of Sugadev, everyone could understand he should sit on the seat. Hmm? And obviously, they were right. All they could tell was by the qualities of his physique, hmm, according to the Bhagavatam. And so they sat him on the seat of esteem, and, and from his lotus mouth came came the Bhagavat in the sweetest form, such sweet form that even the Vyas who taught him the Bhagavat and Nard who taught the Bhagavat to Vyas were charmed to hear it again from Sukadev. Sukha means also parrot. It's said that when the parrot pecks on the on the mango, it becomes sweeter. Or maybe it means it's ripe. Get it now. Hmm. Something like that. Hmm. 
So, and again, Krishna's Kaviraja, in the beginning of his the narrative of Krishna of Chaitanya Lila, after a good philosophical section and extended introduction over about twelve chapters, um, he describes these how these characteristics were found in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is amazing. Here, Rupa Goswami cites a verse somewhere um, from the oral tradition. He, do, he doesn't give any reference. Oh, friend, I see that your child has 32 auspicious marks on its body. How is it possible that such a child could be born in a cowherd's house? Seven places on his body are red. Six limbs are are raised it should be really three limbs are broad three limbs are short three limbs are deep five limbs are long five limbs are fine <laughs> so this is a verse that some cowherd is speaking about and saying you don't find people like this amongst the cowherds hmm? this is extraordinary where did he come from what kind of what, what, of course Nanda Maharaj would have to explain away his divinity um, which he's very expert at doing due to his parental bhava, but uh, but these are a description then of the gunotam, gunot, gunota, gunotam, or uh, bodily characteristics as opposed to markings on the body, unkotam, which will come next. So red, red and seven, reddish around his eyes, on his nails around his feet, ends of his hands, his, his lips, his, his tongue, his, the roof of his mouth. We'll think, well, ours are reddish too, but kind of, without any need for lipstick. So this is, uh, these are well-known characteristics of, um, of Krishna. He has um, certain limbs are raised, raised chest. He has raised, um, raised nose. Many times in scripture, the raised nose is brought up as a, as a beautiful bodily characteristic. Raised shoulders, nails, waist, and mouth. Hmm. He has. Three broad limbs, his his his, his waist, uh, forehead, and chest. He already had a thin waist, but he's got a broad one too. So, all contradictions are resolved in Krishna. Hmm? He has three short limbs: neck, lower legs, and genital. Three deep limbs: the navel. And this is this is his voice and intelligence. Limbs. We're not they're not talking about bodily limbs, but. Features, anyway, characteristics. Hmm? Uh, and then he has long limbs, also. He has a long nose, long arms, extending down to his knees, his hands down to his knees. Hmm? Uh, long eyes, elongated eyes, hmm? back to his ears almost. Hmm? Uh, cheeks and also knees. And five fine limbs are his skin, very fine skin, hair on his head, bodily hair, his teeth, and his finger joints. These, hmm, are the markings of a great personality. 
Hmm? And then, uh, and and it's pointed out that these are not found even in avatars. Hmm? All of them. Hmm? So all in one place. So you might find some here and there and so forth. And and uh, understand that uh, uh, the divinity of the person by such. But in Krishna, all of them at once, and all of them in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, as it would be expected, he being non-different from Krishna. And Ankotam means like the markings on his feet and hands, if you were to lines if you were to read his palm something and of course read palm reading is is an extension of this physiognomy i should say also i've been in india in delhi have you been in india in delhi and some guy says that eh, miss your palm hmm? or they look at your face and they, oh he's like this and and it's very they're very accurate they're very it's very telling hmm? they get people they just look at them and say you're like this and your partner's like this and, and then they pull out their hand ask for money and people are impressed and they give it. So, uh, about these then markings, specific markings, Rupa Goswami gives the verse, O king of the coward men, see the hands of your child. There are clear lines of the lotus and chakra on his feet. There are marks of a flag, thunderbolt, goad, fish, and lotus. They're extraordinary. Uh, markings, and it's mentioned, Jiva Goswami cites in the Padma Purana, Brahma speaking, and listing these various markings, 16 markings on his feet. Hmm. And um, sometimes there's three other ones mentioned. Um, I guess I should list them, that these are the markings of the Supreme Brahman in person. Hmm. Um verse from the Padma Purana. Listen, Narada, Brahma speaking, I will tell you about the marks on the Lord's feet. I previously told you about the unlimited avatars of Krishna, who, who Krishna, of Krishna, who is full of bliss. Later I will say Krishna is the original form of God. Krishna has appeared on earth, assisting the devatas and sages, and out of desire to see his own dear devotees. I and no one else know the marks by which the Lord, who is most affectionate to his devotees, can be known. I speak the truth, for I have seen sixteen marks on his feet. On his right foot are eight marks. On his left foot are seven marks. That's fifteen. O best of the Vaishnavas, on his right foot can be seen the marks of the flag, lotus, thunderbolt, goad, barley, corn, swastika, and an upward line and an octagon. O best of the Vaishnavas, now I will tell you about the seven marks on his left foot. There is a rainbow, a triangle, a pot, a crescent moon, a compass, a fish, and a hoof print of a cow. Whenever we see them, see these marks on the feet of someone, we'll learn to say, without doubt, the Supreme Brahman has taken birth on earth as a person. O best of the Vaishnavas, two or three or five of these marks will sometimes be found in Krishna's avatars. Hear about the sixteen marks, O best of the sages, the devatas, Best among the among, oh, excuse me, oh, best of the sages among the devatas. 
Sometimes a mark resembling a jumbo fruit will be seen. That's, the, I guess, the 16th one. And then Jiva Goswami comments that from other scriptures, companies, agamas, and also in the Brahma Puranas, understood that there are other signs, such as the conch, the chakra, and, the, um, and an umbrella. Hmm. So this is a very extraordinary person. I mean, we say that God has come to earth as a, per, as a person. That's a kind of a weird idea. It's, it's an odd idea. What would he be like and so forth? And so, of course, we give the description human, human-like. I think it's weird for people today, but it's human-like. But we see the like is a big word there. <laughs> like. Which makes him very different at the same time. You won't find these kind of markings on just anyone. And Ruchira means he gives bliss to the eye by his beauty. Very subtle distinctions here between these bodily uh, qualities and so forth that uh, Goswami is making, which helps us to appreciate how attractive Krishna is that you could look and, and then find such a quality and make such a distinction. Hmm? It's, it's very... Um, it, it speaks as well, as I say, of his capacity to absorb one. How can you look at somebody so closely? Hmm? You could probably live with somebody for years and even in a, in a marital relationship and not know something about some bodily mark or something. <laughs> it's possible. Hmm. Uh, so how how absorbed the devotees are hmm. in in their meditation upon Krishna? And how how possible that is? How consuming is his is uh, his appearance, his makeup, his persona? Hmm. Here again, in terms of physical characteristics, An example now of how he is this uh, uh, bliss gives bliss to the eye. All the dem- it's an example from the Bhagavatam's third canto. All the demigods from the upper, lower, and middle universe assembled on the altar of the Rajasuya sacrifice performed by Raj Yudhisthira. After seeing the beautiful bodily features of Krishna, they all realized that whatever Brahma had previously created now completely entered into Krishna. So they want to say that all the beauty of the world whatever it is, combined. It was all in, in one person. And Vishwanath makes a comment. But actually, those all that material beauty doesn't compare to him, even if it's all put, put together. He was beyond the creation at the same time. And Jiva goes, and Rupa Goswami cited another verse, and Rupa Goswami said, Jiva Goswami says, the reason for this is because this particular verse was just cited it's a little bit of a blurred example because it speaks about how he is beautiful to the eye and also says something about his limbs, which is also which is a quality that we've already discussed in brief. So, an example that is only about how he is beautiful to the eye is cited by Rupa Goswami. He says, If the bee-like eyes of the gopis fall upon one among the eight lotus-like bodily parts of Krishna, the enemy of the Dhanavas, they will not be able to rise from the thick honey 
of his beauty. So again, we, we hear the invoking of the um, comparison by, uh, of the lotus. The lotus is often mentioned in the scriptures. It's thought to be, uh, in Indian literature, the, the, um, the symbol of beauty in the world. So, eight parts of Krishna's body are like lotuses. He had a lotus face, lotus eyes, uh, lotus hands, lotus feet. What else? Lotus navel. That's right. A lotus navel. Hmm? That's right. Very good. Hmm? So, and you go And the other bodily parts also. They're also quite. Very, very beautiful, but these particularly are thought to resemble the lotus. Then another quality, tejasa, which means effulgence, but has another second meaning here also. And uh, it means like vitality and and the capacity to um, overcome opposition. Hmm? With regard to its meaning as Effulgence, it said. Though the Kastuba jewel of the king of Ju- the, the king of jewels discredits the sun by its shining rays, it appears like only a star on the Lord's chest, which shines much brighter than the Kastuba. The Kastuba gem is a. Some people have called it the, what the lap, lapis, lazul, lazuli. Hmm? Well, I don't know yeah. English, but it's like yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes, just about jewel, it's thought to, on Krishna's chest, it's thought to represent all jivas that he holds close to his heart. Hmm? Here, of course, it's said that the Kastuba gem, an ordinary one, which is thought to be very bright and so forth, is very dim in comparison to the effulgence of Krishna. Eva Goswami comments that this is true. However, with regard to Krishna's effulgence, he actually dims his effulgence in this world or conceals it to some extent. Naham hmm. Prakash Sarvasya. Hmm. Is it? Naham Prakash. Yoga Maya Samabhita. As the Gita says, Krishna speaking there, that I, I don't show myself to everybody. I hide myself to some extent. Hmm. Uh, he can only be seen with eyes of devotion. So he may be seen by others and they have different opinions about it because they have no devotion. But Jiva Goswami makes the comment here that with regard to his being effulgent, he hides it because if he didn't hide it, then no one would be able to see the sun. <laughs> what a, yeah, so it's a very, it's it's humorous in a sense. But I mean, he he wants to say, you got to. How can I speak to you about his his quality of his of effulgence? If he was to just let it go, the sun would look like like a like a firefly at night, like a spark only from the fire. Hmm? What is the tejas, tejas of Krishna? Hmm? 
course, sometimes that aura, I guess we could think of it in that way, is, just, is compared to Brahman. So, appropriately, this is the, the sun, moon, they are like glowworms compared to Brahman. Hmm. And then the other way of understanding this word, Tadis, a capacity to conquer over obstacles and others, there's an example. Seeing Madhava with his tender body from a distance in the wrestling arena, the group of wrestlers, though endowed with great chests, greater than mountains, became agitated with fear. This is a, an example of the uh, wrestling of the wrestling match that Krishna was invited to, Krishna and Balaram, by Kamsa, with uh, a view to engage them with Mustika and Charana. Hmm? the biggest wrestlers in uh, in his camp. I guess they would have these, uh, you know, this worldwide wrestling goes back a long way. Um, still popular today. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's actually thought to be a Vaishnava sport. It's been abused quite a bit, considerably. Um, but... <laughs> But uh, they they were just young young boys, hmm. um, just budding adolescents, and they were put up to fight with the biggest wrestlers in the uh, compound of of uh, Kamsa, who would hold wrestling matches, and people would attend and place their bets, and so on and so forth. Um, and so, as we know, it's a very nice uh, description in the Bhagavatam. Um, when he enters in there, and it's described how he is seen, Krishna and Balaram, how they're seen by different types of people. Hmm? Ordinary people saw it as ghastly, vibhatsa. Hmm? And, and, so, and all the different visions constitute the ten rasas, the five or twelve rasas, the five primary and the seven secondary. So it's an example of how he's Rasaraj. That's not what's being brought out here, but it comes to mind as we go to the wrestling match that they're talking about. And um, he's talking particularly about the wrestlers, I guess, who saw him, I guess Kamsa saw him as fear, Bankar, and the wrestlers saw him as Lightning bolt. So he was. They 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 they, uh, they saw that he had the power to conquer over others, as it's being used here. And they, be, they well, it says here they also became fearful. The next quality is Balian, means he has extraordinary uh, strength, filled with great bodily strength. Example: See the lotus-eyed Krishna has thrown to a far distance like a piece of cotton the greatest demon, Aristasura, who is heavier and higher than the Vindhya mountain range. Another example. May the left hand of the lotus-eyed Krishna, which is has lifted Govardhan Hill like a ball, protect you. Hmm. It's an example of his Aishvarya. We heard the other day, the other morning, what did we hear? Such a sweet explanation. So many explanations of the Govardhan Leela, so many things to draw from it. We heard 
how the, 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 the Krishna's friends, his Priyasakas, think of the whole Govardhan Leela. Oh, your hand must be sore. Can you put it in, give it to Sridham for a minute? Or at least change hands and put, and they're pained by what they perceive to be his arm and hand and little finger must be, must be, must be pained. This is their preoccupation in the Govardhan Leela. As you know, the famous depiction in art is there where the cowherds are putting their sticks up and helping Krishna to hold the, the mountain. They know that he's strong. This is one of the qualities, actually, that stands out to the sakas, his, his being strong. But they think they're strong, too. <laughs> and, uh, and so they're uh, assisting him. And then lastly, um, amongst these physical qualities, there's a mention of his age, which comes up again later on and has gone to, into in some detail when the Udipanas are described, things related to Krishna, his age. But here it's described also as a physical quality, and the idea, of course, is that he, his physical appearance changes slightly as he goes through the three different ages. Rupa Goswami says, Though Krishna is endowed with all ages, which become most excellent, the age of Kishore, ever fresh, endowed with all pastimes, manifesting all good qualities, and the shelter of all rasas, is considered to be the best. So the ages are Kumar, Poganda, and Kishore. And Jiva Goswami has commented here that the word, the, the, the Sanskrit word used to describe this quality is um, Vayasanvitaha. And he says that the word Anvita indicates that each of the ages has an essential quality. And uh, and in the context of them, Krishna ob- obtains an identity. As I've said before, there's, Krishna has three identities in the Braj. Hmm? His one identity is that he's the son of Nanda and Yasoda. That's one of his identities. Second identity is that he's the friend of Sridham, Sudam, Subal, Stoka Krishna, Angsu, Kinkini, and so forth. Hmm? Wouldn't you like a name like that? And then, <laughs> and then he is the lover of Radha. Hmm? And so these three identities are pertain to the three different rasas, Vatsalya, Sakya, and Madhurya. Dasi rasa is also there, but it's tinged a little bit with Sakya also in the brudge. In almost all, all cases. Hmm? Maybe one or two exceptions of pure Dasya. So, three basic identities, and as they correspond with three different dominant sentiments therein, they correspond with three different ages. So, the Kumar age with the uh, parental love. The Poganda age, the boyhood age, Poganda with the coward friends. The Kishore age with his uh, romantic life. Hmm? And you can see in one sense how at those different times, if you will, in eternity, uh, where there's no beginning or end, but there's time for the sake of sequence, hmm? the childhood 
pastimes of Krishna really facilitate the uh, the Vatsali Rasa. Hmm? At that time, no one can love him more than his parents. Hmm? In the Prakat Leela, in the Manifest Leela, where he goes through these different ages, hmm? it's special. He actually goes through these ages. In Golok, in the... In the, in the, in the um, Paravilm in a spiritual world, he only appears as a Kishore, eternal Kishore. Hmm? This age is said to be the best because in that age all the Rasas can be uh, experienced. In his Kumar Lila, gopis can experience Madhurya Rasa with him. Hmm? Cowherd boys can't fully experience uh, to the same extent their friendship with him as they can in the Poganda Lila. In the Poganda Lila, then their, 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 their time is shining, so to speak. Hmm? Um, uh, and in the Kishore Lila, then with his Madhurya Rasa. So, um, um, three, three identities, and Yugoslavia says they makes the point here that these are, he obtains an identity as a Kumar. He obtains the identity as a son of Nanda. As a, in the Pogandi, he obtains the identity as a, as a cow herder. That's when he gets his stick and he gets his uh, necessary um, equipment for cow herding and, and uh, that's the, what the, they're at the Gopastami and there's a celebration and how he's become a full cow herder and off he can go and so forth. And then, of course, in the Kishore Leela, his his um, romantic leelas. So there's some speciality to the Prakat Leela, manifest Leela on earth. I've often likened it to a, a drama or a movie in which it is said uh, the special, one of the special features is that it's filmed on location. Hmm? I think it's uh, um, the Ananda Vrindavan Champu of Kavi Karnapur where the uh, the uh, the uh, Mahajan writes that that Krishna appeared on earth and manifested his leela so that Mother Yashoda could experience the fullness of being the mother and going through the childhood pastimes. Because again, in the Golok, he's eternally youthful. As an adolescent, I should say, in Kishore. And so there's no, the childhood pastimes aren't there. That said, at the same time, hmm, the Kishore age is the most full, the most complete, and that's mentioned here in, in the verse. Manifesting all qualities, shelter of all rasas, this age is the best of all. So it's speaking particularly about the fact he has different ages, but that his Kishore age is particularly hmm, uh, extra, extra, extraordinary. And it's not that Mother Yasoda's love, really, or the cowherd's love, is somehow limited because they're not seeing him in his Komar or Poganda. Because really, Mother Yasoda will see him as a Kishore, but think of him only as her her child. This is the, the nature of of uh, the subjective experience of loving. And then more about these ages will come towards the end of this chapter when the Udipanas are discussed, and later also in chapters where 
Vatsalya Rasa and Sakya Rasa are mentioned. Um, there are considerable commentary on the phenomenon of Krishna's ages, so I don't want to go into that in detail here. Hmm? And this then, um, well, as uh, one more verse to conclude this section about physical characteristics, qualities, bodily qualities, filled with the joy of recently manifested youth, the sweetness of Morari defeating the spotless full moon with the effulgence of his smile, and made soft with a hint of the fresh sports of Cupid, gives great joy to the minds of the sweet-eyed gopis. This verse is cited to show the, the extraordinary position of, of Shingarasa or Madhurya Rasa. Mm-hmm. And so it is then with the description in brief of his qualities in relation to his extraordinary body, Sri Krishna Bhagavan Kijai. Any question? Yes. Is um, the four qualities that are only of Krishna? <coughs> does Dvarakesh Krishna have them? They seem to be relating to. Yeah, Vrindari. he does. No, he does. Venu Madhurya. Well, no, not Venu Madhurya. But his beautiful form, sometimes, I, I believe maybe it will be cited by the commentators. Example of him seeing himself in the pillar. In Dwarka, the reflection of himself and thinking, who's that? Wow. And being attracted to his own form. Rupa Madhurya. Venu Madhurya, Venu means flute. The flute is relative to Vrindavan. I would say that they're more fully manifest in Vrindavan, and that one in particular. And also, you know, it depends how you want to... I often say the Prema Madhurya, Lila Madhurya. Hmm. The full sense of Madhurya. He's all is fully in Vrindavan. Hmm. I don't. I don't think Rupa Goswami makes the point for Rupa Goswami only in Vrindavan. It's the same person, after all. Hmm. Krishna. He is. It will be described here. Perfect in Mathura, or in Dwarka, more perfect in Vrindavan, or excuse me, in Mathura, and most perfect in Vrindavan. So I think you could look at it like that with regard to those four qualities as well, except for the flute. Hmm. What else? Yes? Uh, when Krishna appears and um, has all these uh, marks on his body, uh, on the, like, the devotees don't really need those to recognize them because just by seeing him, they will feel love naturally. So, uh, for whom kind of are those marks? Or are they as Uddipana? Well, as they were described here, they, they, um, they identify him as the, as the personality of Godhead. Hmm? That's useful, no? Hmm. Um, the gopis, when they saw his footprints, they could understand. Oh. This is Krishna. Hmm? When they see, when it, when the devotees see his footprint on the earth, it becomes Udipana. Hmm? Because it is the way it is. Hmm? I'm not sure I understand your question really, but hmm? how? Uh, because he has 
eyes like lotuses and face like a lotus and so forth. It's, it's causing feelings that, that if they didn't have that, they wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't arise. In particular. No, they will just look and go, wow, that's far out. Look at those feet of my son. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. 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 What else? This description of Krishna by Shilabhubhuswami, is this more of like the objective view of Krishna, of how Krishna really is seen? I say this in terms of many artist renditions of Krishna being more slender or more or less slender, round face, not round face. This detail that changed that seemed to be coming from a subjective point of view, I guess. Well, it would be good to make the paintings based on these descriptions. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They're empowered descriptions. Limited as they are, as language is, nonetheless, they're empowered descriptions that that um, will have spiritual efficacy in one's life. And so if we're going to take to art and depicting him and so forth, or in song and poetry, this is the, the uh, gold standard, you know, to, to draw from. And His nose is never raised in this muggle miniature of the nose. <laughs> art is an evolving thing. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, do the best, people do the best they can with the talents and sensibilities that they have. In one sense, the point is that the descriptions are beyond replication. All right, we'll stop there. Sri Sri Krishna Balaram Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanam Ki Jai.